Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 20 called Amanda. So I can't believe we made it to episode 20 already. I'm so excited. And I saved this episode, this interview with Amanda Rice, who is an incredible person for the 20th episode, because it seemed like a really big deal. And what she is doing is a really big deal. So just to tell you a little bit about Amanda Rice, she started an organization, a nonprofit called Chick Mission, and it helps young adults who are diagnosed with cancer learn about their fertility options and gives them scholarships to freeze their eggs if they're so inclined to do that. Amanda is amazing in her own right. She was diagnosed with cancer not one, not two, but three times under the age of 40, and she beat it every single time. So she's going to tell us all about her incredible story, how she came up with Chick Mission, and what they're doing now. So this is a huge one. It's pretty long, but it is so good. Amanda, you are the biggest fucking badass, and I love you so much, and I'm so glad our friend Gail introduced us. So without further ado, this is Amanda's infertility story. Amanda, thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad we finally nailed down a date. It took us a minute. It took Um, us a minute, but 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 we're here. We're here, and we have so much to talk about. So let's start with just kind of a general thing about your background. Like, where did you grow up? Sure. What kind of kid were you? Um, I grew up in White Plains, New York, so not too far from New York City. And I had a great upbringing. Um, Wonderful parents, very supportive. I I was always the kid who was trying to sell you something, whether it was, oh, I should have a TV in my room and my own phone line to, oh, my (laughs) sister and I for Christmas should get, um, uh, what was it back then, VHS players, Mm -hmm. Um, we should both get them because it's only fair, and... (laughs) I should, you know, I, I would hit them up for anything and everything. Yeah. Did um, it work? It worked. Really? It totally worked. Okay. Um, my dad was such a softy because he had two daughters mm-hmm. and we were super into sports. So we sort of filled that boy void. Um, we were both really into softball mm-hmm. and he coached us and it was really just great. And my mm-hmm. mom, you know, she took a little time off when my older sister was born and then went back to work. So I had a great role model there. Mm-hmm. She was a project manager for many, many years, um, and yeah, it was a good upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, you know, I knew there was a little trouble in their marriage. You know, you could just tell. And um, sort of my opinion of their divorce was, it's a good thing because mm-hmm. then both of them could find happiness again. Right. And and you know, ultimately, my mom did. Um, and unfortunately my dad passed, um, of a heart attack in his sleep. So I was, I had just registered, I graduated from high school. Uh Um, he was so proud and I, um, got into Tulane university, which was amazing. Got in early, knew I was going there, went Mm -hmm. to visit with my dad and we had the best weekend and I knew absolutely it was the best choice. And I registered for classes, and he went um, away on a business trip. 
And the last conversation I had with him was um, just, <clears throat> excuse me. No, it's okay. Um, just like the best conversation because I had told him uh, about all the classes that I registered for mm-hmm. at school and how excited I was. And he was able, you know, I'm so lucky because he was able to tell me how proud he was and how I was going to kick ass Mm -hmm. in everything that I did. And he was super proud and so excited for me to be there and to come visit and all of those things. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, you know, you know, life gives you there are a lot of crossroads in yes. life, a lot, yeah. as as we all are aware. And he, you know, had his blessing, and he, you know, he was just really proud of me, and he was always really proud of me, and he always told me. So. Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to study in school? I thought so. I mean, he was a businessman, mm-hmm. and I had taken accounting courses in high school, actually and thought I wanted to be an accountant. Um, So I went to school, I took a bunch of accounting classes, hated them, (laughs) thought they were the most boring things ever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did have an amazing fifth grade teacher, who, Mrs. Yuzo, who told me I was really good at math. Oh. And so I was hooked Mm -hmm. from fifth grade on, it's either fifth or sixth grade. Yeah. You know, brain doesn't work as well. But, <laughs> um, but she told me, she sort of singled me out one day. Yeah. And was like, you are really good at this. Keep this up. Yeah. And so I felt super confident in math. And I was like, I'm going to be good at this. And so I ended up being good at it. Yes. And Isn't that cool how teachers can lay uh, the groundwork like that? She, I, I mean, that another crossroads. Yeah. And you or, still remember her name. Love and, her. Yeah. Ugh. She was awesome. Yeah. That's and just so like great. a badass and like opinionated. Yeah. And, and, you know, wasn't afraid to speak up. And those are the people that have influenced my life. Right. And I always felt like I'm a very practical person. Um, so I felt like if I went to the business school, studied finance, studied the markets, it would always be a useful tool for me one day, regardless mm-hmm. if I went into fashion or beauty or. Um, something else creative or, you know, maybe I went into tech, although there wasn't much tech at that time. Um, (laughs) let's be honest. Um, I had to still go to, I had to go to a computer lab to check my email in college. Yeah. We didn't even have email when I was in college. (laughs) We had it the last year of college and you did, you had to go to the computer lab. Computer lab, lab, login. It was like the EDU addresses. Mm-hmm. That, that annoying noise exactly that millennials will never know of thank nope. goodness um anyway so i knew i was bound for the business school okay that's so smart to have that background you know depending on whichever way you go like to think yeah. that way that was brilliant and i took like a bunch of different courses about the market i took um you know management communications i took micro and macroeconomics which then i realized um i'm really bad at economics hmm. I uh, got a D. I got my first D in my entire life in microeconomics, followed by a big D in macroeconomics. Okay. <laughs> so wasn't going to be an econ major. Yeah. Um, but took some great classes, ended up at the business school at Tulane, um, took a phenomenal course called the Burke and Rhodes Report, mm-hmm. where you study companies and analyze companies with Whoa. some of the MBA students. Cool. And was hooked uh-huh. on that. So I knew at some point, you know, investments was going to be my thing. Uh-huh. And so I moved back home. Well, actually, 
Home didn't exist anymore because mm-hmm. my mom, when I went to college, sold our house in White Plains okay. and bought an apartment in the city. And so that was another example of my salesmanship. When she sold our house, I said, I'm not going to come home to like your small hometown in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. I have to be in New York. And so at the time, it was like, you know... Mid to late 90s. Uh-huh. Um, and she bought a studio apartment in the city for all cash. It was like $55,000 oh on the Upper East Side. Cool. Fifty five dollars or $60,000, I can't remember. But again, she's like, well, I can't disappoint my baby. Like, I'm going to try and do this. And it was the best decision she ever made because wow. she is such a New Yorker through and through. Yeah. And loves the arts. So did she live there as well or yeah she, okay so she lived there um you know she sort of went back and forth between her hometown uh-huh. in um northeastern pennsylvania and okay. new york okay and telecommuted uh-huh. so and had a partner at the time and yeah had a great relationship with him and i yeah. still do yeah i always knew i wanted to be a career woman and i wanted to be independent mm-hmm. and make my own money make my own rules mm-hmm. um it was something that just felt just I was destined to do and be and I was on the fence I mean I wasn't going to try to force the kid situation Mm -hmm. but it really took me a long time a lot of you know traveling partying um you know just working very hard career focused and I really think it was only I would say four or five years ago um, and I'm 42 today, mm-hmm. that that kind of I want to be a mom thing really, you know, cut, sort of came down like a sledgehammer. Okay. And it's not to say my life will not be full without children because I have a lot of obstacles um, to get there. And I sort of leave it to fate. Mm-hmm. But it was really the birth of one of my best friend's children and my godson that mm-hmm. you know just being there throughout the process with her and being such a part of his life as a baby and spending so much time with him mm-hmm. and I just was hooked mm-hmm. and I was like I gotta make sure I give myself every opportunity if the universe you know allows it and I figure out a way to either do it on my own as a single woman mm-hmm. um, or find a partner, you know, after my um, divorce with my husband. Okay. So, okay. yeah. So, so I, um, back to the chronology a little bit. So you've graduated college, you're in New York. When did you meet your previous husband, who's not yeah. even together anymore, but like we'll get my, to all that. My first husband. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Jim and I met, gosh, we were... I think 25 and 26, mm-hmm. and we met at work at Merrill Lynch, and he's just a fabulous guy, um, you know, full of life, charming, funny, um, he's just a great guy, mm-hmm. and he was the first guy that I ever told I loved, mm. and I think, you know, I just wasn't, after the loss of my dad, I think... It took me a long time to figure out how to have a healthy relationship. Okay. And I felt like I always wanted to be in control because I didn't want to lose someone. And, you know, it took me it took me a long time and a lot of relationships and 
Sorry to those guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you were probably still heartbroken. I was at your core, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, I was just very fearful of losing someone. Yeah. And it it just took me a while. And Jim and I worked together. We'd be we were friends first, you know, flirty friends. Sure. And we had this like internal messaging system and we would write notes back and forth and we couldn't really leave the desk, um, right. but we could like jump down the elevator, grab lunch, and come back to our respective areas. Mm-hmm. And so we would do that. And he, I was dating someone at the time, and he, after that guy and I broke up, Jim asked me out. And I was like, ah, I can't date you. One of my rules, like my mom set the ground rules. She's like, you don't date people at work. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I can't really date you. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. We'll just say we, we never dated when we worked together, but maybe there was like a smooch here or there. Sure, sure. And eventually I decided to leave the company and Jim organized like my going away party. And then we, I don't know, you know, he always has the better memory. So <laughs> um, I don't know what happened first, but there was some, you know, smooching and yeah. date. And then he wrote me this really sweet letter. Like, you have no choice anymore. You got to yeah. go out with me. So like, you don't work here anymore. He's like, so sorry, your excuse is bogus. Yes. Um, so yeah. And so we, we got married, um, you know, we dated for a while mm-hmm. and then got married, um, in our early thirties and you know, life was good. Yeah. We, you know, it, he's a great guy. I'm a great girl. Um, it just, there was something that just wasn't right. And I think because we had been dating so long and we had, you know, we were intertwined in friendships and mm-hmm. intertwined in family. And, you know, because there wasn't anything wrong with him, he was going to be a great dad one day, he's smart, he's funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we ended up in this marriage because we didn't know, you know, how to get out of not getting to that point in our relationship. Yes. It gets very complicated. Sometimes it's easier to stay together and the notion of splitting up seems daunting. And it does. And I think, you know, I always tell like my younger friends, you know, marriage is not the goal. The goal is to find happiness and partnership Mm -hmm. and long-term companionship mm-hmm. and find things in common and and build each other up and um, be there for one another so life started to get a little complicated mm-hmm. um, you know I'd say in the beginning of 2014 things you know we were we were struggling in our marriage and had moved out to the burbs um, and in early 2014 I noticed a like a really strange symptom in my body that I just felt like was gross. Um, It was my left um, breast, the nipple was like, sort of had like a little bit of nipple discharge Mm -hmm. coming out of my bikini. We were on vacation and I was like, oh, I'm sort of klutzy. Maybe I cut myself. And then I started noticing it, you know, the week after when I usually I'll wear, you know, not TMI, but you know, like a black bra or a navy bra or whatever. Right. But when I would wear something nude, I would have like a little spot. Okay. And so I'm like, well, that's gross. I'm like, you know, 37. I have like some leaky nipple. <laughs> I haven't had kids yet. Like, yeah. What's going on? Leaky I know, nipples. I was like, ew. So I went to see my OBG and she's like, oh, breasts are funny. Um, you're getting older. Um, I don't know, you know, 
it wasn't very helpful. Okay. Um, you know, there are, I mean, I'll say this time and time again, you have to be your own advocate. Totally. It's insane. Um, you trust doctors because they have gone to all this schooling and have met with a number of patients right. and they know everything because they're doctors and a lot of doctors, I mean, they're, they're phenomenal. I have so much respect for doctors and nurses. OMG. They're, they are just heaven on earth, mm-hmm. but they're humans mm-hmm. and they can study all these things and interact with tons of patients, but they're not the end all be all. There's a lot of art that goes along with medicine mm-hmm. and trials and, you know, they have to make them, you know, placebo control. Like there's just, there's so much to know mm-hmm. and people's bodies are changing and the environment is different and, you know, technology is different. Right. So Plus every person is different and oh, every body is different. So every, even if you study X, Y, and Z, yeah. when you're in the actual thick of it with real patients, it could be totally different from what you studied in school. Totally. I mean, they're, they're making educated guesses with as much information as possible. So, so what happened after that? So did you have a hunch that something was wrong and you got a second opinion? Yeah. I mean, I just felt gross. She, she said, well, I can give you a mammo if you want, but does breast cancer run in your family? And I said, no. And just even hearing that, I was like, oh, that's weird. Let me take the script for the mammo. And you know, I think the national guidelines now are 40. Mm-hmm. There's been some debate between 40 and 45. Um, I think knowledge is power. I know there are people that fight this um, because of costs, because of false positives, but I truly was happy that it was even on the table. I took it, I went to get a mammogram. Um, you know, one of the big misperceptions with cancer is you're gonna know right away that you have cancer. So you don't. Um, mm. They have to do a battery of tests uh-huh. to get to finally like uncovering a cancer cell within your body. Even if you have a tumor or a leaky breast or some puckering or uh-huh. all the other random symptoms, I had to do four separate biopsies, um, two that were MRI guided, which you'd literally go in an MRI machine and they stick a needle in your boob. Um, really fun and painful. Yeah. Freezing cold room. Um, I remember sitting there, um, you know, I'm not a big alarmist. Um, it's okay if you are. Um, but my husband was at like the Big East tournament and I'm sitting on the table with like a biopsy needle in my breast and I'm crying hysterically because I'm like, I didn't even ask him to come with me and this is awful. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, so exposed and I was a very modest person before I went through cancer. Yeah. Very modest. Okay. And now I'm like, who wants to see my new boobs? <laughs> Touch them, feel them. Yeah, I'm exactly. Like, um, they're not mine. <laughs> but um, at that point, it, it took so many tests and weeks of waiting for pathology. And finally, they had to do a surgical excision to get to where the cancer was in this left breast. Okay. And finally, sure enough, the breast, um, the breast... Uh, surgeon was like, I found it. I knew it was there. I found it. Okay, it is cancer. Okay. So what did they find exactly? The cell, some cells yeah. or a cluster of cells, cells or something like that? Okay. Yeah. Did you know going through all these tests, like, did you have a gut feeling that it was going to be cancer? Or were you yeah. like, oh, this is... So I wasn't sure what it was going to be, like what stage or anything like that. Because at first they found atypical ductal hyperplasia. So ADH is... 
Um, and I already told, I warned Allie in advance that I get a little bit technical and annoying on this stuff. I but, don't, no, I don't think it's um, annoying. I think it's fascinating. Atypical ductal hyperplasia is like pre-cancer. Okay. So it doesn't mean you're going to get cancer. It just means there's some abnormal season in your breast tissue. Okay. May never lead to cancer. So don't freak out. Um, then there's something, the next phase is DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in situ. So that means it's, I don't know if the proper word is encapsulated, but it hasn't like burst out into true cancer. Okay. So they had found both of those. So ADH was in the right breast, ductal carcinoma in situ was in the left breast, but throughout my breasts. Okay. So at this point, you know, for vanity, for symmetry, for everything else, I'm like, I'm absolutely getting a bilateral mastectomy and reconstruction. Okay. Because I had already, because of all the biopsies, my left breast was a little bit weird and I could get a lumpectomy, but because it was spread throughout and there wasn't like a specific tumor to remove, it just would have left me with like kind of janky boobs. Okay. And I always was very, very proud, you know, like two of my best qualities are my boobs and my hair. Let's be honest. And they're like, yeah, your boobs are sort of, you know, rotting at the core. We're going to remove them. I'm like, okay. You know, I was 37. Boobs were like still great. Rotting at the core. But. The technical term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Um, how long between the first mammo and like the diagnosis? Was it months or weeks or? Um. Question. It was probably six to eight weeks. Okay. And you were still working during still that time? Working. How was it? Was it having any sort of effect on your relationship? Or, I um, mean, it must have been stressful for you and for him as well. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely, um, you can't underestimate the stress that <laughs> happens to a spouse and to the family and friends. You know, they want right. answers right. just as much as you do. Yeah. And so that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, work was fine. It was distracting. Okay. I, I love what I do for a living. So yeah. I, you know, I was like, okay, I can do this. It's good distraction. I'm all in. And I actually, the surgical excision where they found the cancer was the day before our founder's funeral who died of cancer. Oh, wow. So it was quite poetic. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the hedge fund that I worked for was, um, you know, I'd been there for eight years, a little over eight, I guess eight years. And our founder was like the lifeblood. He was the energy. He was the mood. He cared mm-hmm. about everyone so much. Mm-hmm. And it was terrible to see him. You know, the last time I saw him was before I went on that vacation. Okay. He had found his cancer through pain. Oh, wow. And he never came back to the office. Okay. And then the next time that we were honoring him was the day after I found out I had cancer. Wow. And so the firm was already struggling with, you know, the loss of the founder. And then I was like, oh, geez, I got to, like, bum everyone out. So I eventually told them. Mm-hmm. And I scheduled my mastectomy, which was May 21st of mm-hmm. 2014. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's also not exact, but... It's sort of a tag team thing. Breast surgeon goes in, removes as much breast tissue as possible with a clean margin. It is, you know, they do this nipple sparing, skin sparing mastectomy now. Mm-hmm. We have come so far in the last 10, 20 wow. X years. Um, they can do an amazing job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very proud of what is under this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found the most amazing plastic surgeon, Mia Talmore. I, 
adore her. Mm -hmm. She's just like the coolest, nicest, and she's double board certified. Like she's just a badass. Mm -hmm. So we did reconstruction. They put in something called an expander. The expander is basically, I always say, and it's probably not the right thing to say, but when you go hiking and you have like the camelback that you fill with water right. to keep you hydrated, that's sort of what they put in you okay. to help expand the skin so you don't get a bunch of stretch marks. Uh-huh. So you decide, like I remember sitting around the plastic surgeon's office with, with my mom. all the different sizes. And, and my like- ex-husband, who was my husband at the time, we were feeling different... <laughs> You know, implants, silicone saline, yeah. the gummy bear, the they have all these names, all these names. for them. Yeah. And finally all of us agree on my new boobs. And mm-hmm. um, so we had to make sure like the skin expanded in the in a very nice way. So they do that over time. Mm-hmm. And fast forward to so I had one little hiccup in between, which was one of the lymph nodes that they removed during your mastectomy, they test to see if there is um, any cancer. Mm-hmm. And they also test your nipples because mm-hmm. that's like the blood source. So my nipples were clear. Mm-hmm. I could keep them. Lots of people can't. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of great tattooing you can do. Um, but I was lucky. I got to keep them. And then the one lymph node, I think they take out three or four, one lymph node came back positive. And that just sort of takes you from stage one to maybe stage 1A or B or maybe further. Mm-hmm. So it leads to another surgery. Um, long story short, a couple weeks later, I got a lymph node dissection, which they take out this kind of healthy pad of lymph nodes under your armpit. That's where you can get a bunch of them. So you can test a lot and make sure that it hasn't spread. Um, or if it has spread, then you have to do further testing. Mm-hmm. So they took about, I think, 19 or 21, and it came back clear. Okay. So that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I did then seek a second opinion at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, and they determined that that sentinel node that was positive, I mean, this was just crazy science and just, I'm so lucky that I got to see the oncologist that I got to see there, uh-huh. who's Dr. Larry Norton. He is the guru of all things breast cancer. Okay. Um, he was the former president of ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Okay. He's the co-founder of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. I mean, this is the guy that has access and his brain is just amazing. Um, He has access to all the studies. He has a phenomenal memory, has read so much. And he's like, you know what? In my opinion, this was pushed in by one of those four biopsies that they did. Hmm. And it's still encapsulated. And I'm going to say it did not spread to your lymph node. And I was like, well, we just came from another hospital that said you're 100% having to do chemo. So our family was elated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he literally, you know, we were all like crying and upset and, oh my gosh, I'm going right. to lose all my hair. And yes. This and that. And he changed the course of treatment, you know, right away. Wow. And he, he actually like started making fun of my cancer, which I really appreciated. <laughs> He's like, you got fake cancer. Ah. And I was like, I love this. Oh um, my God. You know, it was a little unnerving, but sure. um, but my family's like, okay, we got to trust the guru yeah. of all gurus. And even had the, um, the oncologist at the other organization come to his office and he explained sort of what he saw. Wow. And he... Um, no, he was, he was very convincing. She was like, you're right. And they changed to long-term drug therapy instead of chemo. Okay. And I was really happy. Wow. But all the while my mind and everything was kind of stirring because when you're told you're going to get ACT chemo, 
um, it has a very high risk of infertility. And so, yes, I knew Jim and I were in a place where we weren't necessarily going to have kids together, but, you know, I was past 35 and I know there's a big cliff of, you know, your options as far as, you know, your FSH and your EMH levels and Mm -hmm. sorry to throw so many acronyms, but, um, these are important things to know as, as women, um, we are born with every egg that we're ever going to have. Right. And there that's is wild. this, it's wild. Yeah. So if you have some sort of systemic thing that's poison coursing through your veins, um, that could lead to, you know, those eggs being affected, um, damaged, and also it could put you into menopause. Mm-hmm. And so um, I did make the decision to freeze my eggs at that point, mm-hmm. and I am very glad that I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a few eggs and then sort of, you know, decided the course of treatment was to be on, I had estrogen and progesterone positive, HER2 negative breast cancer. So there are a lot of options for us. We are, um, we're kind of the lucky ones. There's been the most studies on us, the most medications out there. So you're basically... Um, after everything's done and you get your, um, you do your, um, exchange surgery between the, the expander and your implants, you're sort of like, you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being in Greece with my husband a couple weeks later, really feeling, feeling great back after your mastectomy. Yep. How was the actual surgery for you and the, like the recovery? I mean, you just said you were away two weeks later, so that's yeah, great. The swap surgery actually was, was outpatient and okay. super easy. The mastectomy, I mean, that comes with, I was recovering in a chair. I couldn't sleep. The, the expander is very uncomfortable mm-hmm. and you're also in a lot of pain. Yeah. I mean, you have like these gross drains in you, right. draining things after surgery that you just don't want to see. Yeah. You're, you're almost like doing this lab experiment mm-hmm. on your body. Mm-hmm. And I was recovering in this chair that my stepfather bought for me. Um, you can't really sleep on your side mm-hmm. or, you know, you're just so uncomfortable and you're hopped up on pain meds right. and, you know, pain meds cause constipation and mm-hmm. you can't shower and you can't wash your hair because you can't lift your hands up above your head. And right. so thank you, Drybar. Um, <laughs> thank you to one of my BFFs who sent like a pedicurist to my house. Oh, um, you know, yeah, those are the little, like the oh, little things that make, that mean so much they're that the make you feel best. more back to normal. And yeah. And I have this awesome. list of things to bring to the hospital. So anybody who needs the mastectomy list, it's Ooh. like, Maybe we um, could put that on purpose wipes because you can't shower while the drains are in and right. you have them in for like a good week, sometimes okay. two weeks. Yeah. So these are things you heat up in the microwave and like wash each, each okay. one has a number and like you wash your left arm with number one. Oh, and, cool. And you're back okay. with number two. Okay. Um, but yes, we okay. can, we can post that for sure. Okay, cool. So going back to, um, when you decided to freeze your eggs, um, I believe it's, it's true that your fertility preservation coverage was denied by your insurance. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was... Why? Do you, did they... What was the reason? So they're, um, you know, it's insurance companies. They yeah. really don't want to cover anything. And it's sad that this is the state of affairs these days. They are for-profit companies. And the more they don't cover, the more profit they will make. Sure. So, you know, there's just this thing. They, they have this definition of infertility. And the only way you get there is if first, in, in most cases, and this was mine, 
you have to be trying for 12 months without success. Um, well, we weren't in the best place in our marriage, so we were not trying to have a baby because mm-hmm. um, that's not going to fix our marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, after you try for 12 months without success, you graduate to IUI. Well, I was diagnosed with cancer that is hormonally fed, and then they want to pump me with hormones where IUI doesn't have such great outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, by the way, I need to go on a medication for 10 years that is pregnancy category X. So you want me to wait, be pumped with hormones, have a baby, and then, you know, like this could have turned into a nightmare. Right. So you have to do a number of IUIs, then you can graduate to IVF. Right. And in vitro fertilization, you know, it's, I won't even get into the whole uh, specifics. I'm sure your listeners know all of it, Mm -hmm. but for cancer... Like they really, they pump you full of medication because they're trying to hyper, hyper stimulate you to get as many eggs as possible before you have to start treatment mm-hmm. and you may never get another shot at it. Okay. So they really, I mean, back in the day I was taking, you know, I would, I would finish a gonal F pen in two days. Oh wow. Or less than two days. Wow. I okay. mean, this was like, we're going for the gusto. Yes. And... So it was, there is a separate protocol. They would give you letrozole as a cancer patient. They would do, they would do these other things, but they would monitor you. And there's a conversation or Were numerous. the doctors working together? Yes. And like, okay. That's the only way they'll do it. Sure. Is if they talk to your fertility specialist, speaks with your oncologist, yes. and they come up with a game plan yeah. and a timeline. Wow. Because some people have very serious treatment ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Not to say that mine wasn't serious, but mm-hmm. some people have to rush in. Mm-hmm. So they have to start your cycle. You can manipulate a cancer patient's cycle. You don't have to wait until a fresh new cycle to okay. start your, um, you know, couple of weeks uh-huh. of stimulation. Uh-huh. Okay. So, wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so you did the retrieval and did the retrieval did you do it once or did you, um, at that point once, okay. um, I got three eggs, okay. which, you know, I guess it's, you're going for quality, not quantity. Yeah. Um, they froze all three. Uh-huh. Um, did you feel disappointed with that number? Definitely. Or was that, yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I looked, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, I was 37, so I knew I was past, like, the best, best times, mm-hmm. but I was healthy, and I ate well, and I didn't smoke, and mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I drank too much, but there's, you know, I just, I felt, that was a punch in the gut. Yeah. It was like, ugh, I felt, like, less than, and... Yeah, all and, that. Yeah, all the, all the shitty things that we all feel, um, and that is, you know, it's like a true definition of a woman to be able to have a baby and I don't feel that way now but back then I was like ugh, I'm you know I'm kind of damaged goods mm. and that that was a shitty feeling mm-hmm. but at least at that point I'm like you know what I've got an insurance policy and now Larry Norton just changed the course of treatment so I'm gonna go on tamoxifen and you know we had talked as a husband and wife to my doctor and he said well Go on it for three years. Then you can take a drug holiday, try to get pregnant, and then um, let's see how that goes. Okay. So that would have made me 40. And so for three years, you're going to... Okay. Three years to Okay, okay, But turns out <laughs> um, I went on to moxifen for a couple of months, and I don't know exactly if it was, you know, the cancer caught up with me 
or the medication or a combination of both, but I felt a deep, dark depression and could not function. Mm -hmm. You know, I was waking up. I had never really understood what anxiety was Mm -hmm. before that moment in time. I was waking up at three in the morning, like, (gasps) and could not go back to bed and everything was going through my head. Um, Terrible thoughts. And, you know, I, I remember breaking down in my kitchen and describing to my husband these feelings that I wanted to step in front of the subway. Wow. And I'm always, I'm like the glass half full girl. I'm the happy go lucky. Mm-hmm. Like I bring the fun and the, mm-hmm. and the positivity. And right. I, I felt so ashamed and I was ashamed that you felt depressed yes. or it was all adding to each other. I was just and like, Holy fuck, what is going on? I yeah. can't live life this way. I yeah. mean, it was so debilitating and I was getting pressure from work and I just felt like dog shit. And I finally like admitted it out loud and I was crying all the time. I mean, it was such a classic case of depression. Mm-hmm. You know, I went, finally went to, the Sloan has so many different resources. I went to the mental health, um, you know, department, which happens to be close to my um, office and I'm doing sort of that intake form and it's like, are you having suicidal thoughts? Are you crying all the time? I mean, I, I literally checked every single box wow. and I was like, this is insane. I can't believe this happened. This is worse than cancer. Whoa. Yeah. So had you ever felt that down in the dumps before in your life? Never, no? never, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. And then I started feeling guilty because I have plenty of friends and family who have, and then how could I be so insensitive and... Mm. God, I'm an asshole and, you know, all, all <laughs> right. the things. Ugh. Yeah. So so did you go off that drug? And yeah, then, I okay. finally, I mean, I was calling the doctor's office. I went to see him and he made me feel so much better. He's mm-hmm. like, listen, you have been under a tremendous amount of stress for a very long period of time. Literally, it's science. Your serotonin is completely gone. Oh, like, wow. It is yeah. so depleted. You can't possibly replenish it on your own. Mm. And he gave me like, he told me some good stories and you know, it just made me feel better. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I went straight away on Lexapro, took, you know, t- went off the tamoxifen mm-hmm. and we were going to test out some other things and they just wanted to get me, you know, that was probably November and I wanted to feel happy before mm-hmm. Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I can't live like this. Mm-hmm. And finally, I mean, it just, it took a couple weeks to feel like a pretty substantial difference. Okay. And I felt kind of kind of naive, but I'm like, it's a multi-billion dollar industry for a reason. Like, these drugs work. And it doesn't mean you always have to be on them. Right. You don't. I was scared to go on. I felt like sure. I wouldn't be myself. I wouldn't feel happy. I wouldn't feel sad. I would just be muted. Yeah. Absolutely not. And I finally felt better. I was taking long walks. I felt, you know, I was doing physical therapy to get my movement back. And mm-hmm. you know, I just felt much, much better physically. And so I wanted to get better mentally. And I knew, I also knew at that point in time, I wanted to switch to another firm. And so I was like, I can't even interview because I'm depressed and I'm not putting my you know, best foot forward. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so thank you, Lexapro yeah. and Dr. Norton and my family and my yeah. friends. Okay. So then once you got back to normal, what was happening with your husband and then... There was another diagnosis. Yeah, well, I, I, um, I 
say this um, jokingly, but in all seriousness, I'm an overachiever, so I'm also a cancer overachiever. Um, <laughs> all early stage, so that's the kind you want. Yeah. Um, but I randomly, um, yeah, so husband and I, we were, we were good in a crisis, and so I think we were just sort of riding off of that. And uh, one of my best friends got married um, that summer, and she's just awesome. And it was like the most fun wedding ever. Mm-hmm. So, but before I went, I had noticed like a weird mark on my arm. And after you have cancer, you're kind of like, oh, I got to watch my spots and watch all my bod, my bodily functions, mm-hmm. my bodily movements. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of breast exams, post-mastectomy. Yeah. And I noticed a dot. I went to my derm, told him what had happened with the cancer. He was mad at me because I hadn't told him. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but he took a little... You know, as they do, mm-hmm. they find something abnormal. Um, took it off, sent it out to the lab, and I went on my merry way to this wedding um, out in Sun Valley, Idaho. Nice. And I, as luck should have it, our flight was canceled on Sunday, so we got to keep the party going and ended up flying home Monday. And as I'm walking into my house, I notice my dermatologist is calling my cell phone, mm. which, you know... I mean, he's sort of like my cosmetic term. He gives me my scans, my body yeah. scans. I'm like, why is Dr. Mandel calling my cell phone? Hmm. Pick up the phone. He's like, yeah, so I know I said it was nothing, but it's melanoma. And oh I'm like, my God. no. Um, oh, my God. But, again, not related to the breast. Um, I think probably too much sun exposure as, like, a lifeguard growing up mm-hmm. or on the beach or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you grow up putting baby oil on, like... So we were like that I, I was never that, was like, that bad. Okay. Um, but I definitely remember like some massive sunburns when I was sure. a kid. Yeah. I mean, my grandparents were in Florida for part of the year. I remember being in Mexico one time and getting a terrible sunburn. Yeah. Um, I've been pretty good with sunscreen like mm-hmm. my whole adult life. But, yeah. you know, you got to check your spots. Yep. And this was not a big deal. It was surgically removed. I've got like a really cool scar that looks like... I call it my shark bite or shark attack. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no drugs, no, you know, I ended up, because I had to go to, you know, a, a dermatologist at Sloan, I had him like laser it and he lasered my boob scars. And so it was yeah. kind of like a, a win-win. Okay. But I'm like, oh, cancer number two. All right. Kicked okay. its butt. So you're like, this is never going to happen like, again. Yeah. I was like, oh, 2014 was breast. 2015 was melanoma. Yeah. 2016, we're like, all right, we're kind of holding our breath. Everything's going well. I switch firms. I love my new job. I'm learning like a whole new focus. And... The whole year goes by. We host Thanksgiving, and that was awesome with the whole family. And we're sitting on the couch, sort of like we're exhausted after hosting. And I'm doing my self-breast exam. And I noticed something that Dr. Norton said. Um, If it ever comes back, this is what it's going to feel like, which is like a pebble or a frozen pea. Okay. you know, you would know it. It is a foreign, very hard object in your body. Wow. And I kid you not, like, I knew it. The minute I touched it, and I do breast exams very regularly, mm-hmm. um, even post-mastectomy, they leave a margin. So you have breast tissue. Mm-hmm. And when I went to see Sloan um, and Dr. Norton, he said when he was doing the physical breast exam, you know, I'm not worried about your cancer because, again, it was fake cancer. Um, <laughs> but... If it ever comes back, this is what it's going to feel like. I'm a little nervous because the um, breast surgeon 
left a little too much breath, residual breast tissue behind. Mm. And so I, I will not mention who that was, but he sort of mentioned like, you know, your breasts go, your normal breasts, you know where they are, but then they go under your armpit and they go like above where your breast mm-hmm. is. And so they had left some residual breast tissue under my armpits. Sure enough, that's exactly where the tumor came back. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so I'm doing it. We're almost done with the year. It's the right. first weekend in December. We're like, ah, oh, cancer-free year, cancer-free right. year, finally. Nope. Oh so 2016. So was it like one day, were you doing them every day? Was it like one day it was there, no, one day it wasn't, or a couple days? Or? I, you know, I, you know, I, I am pretty fanatical about moisturizer and yeah. keeping my skin young and yes. supple and, um, you know, I, I, who knows? Yeah. I'm proud of my cute new girls. So I'm like, you know, yes. I touch them and yes. feel them and whatever, but it, I think I would say it's a matter of weeks that that tumor like popped up. Right. Okay. So then what do you do? So we are so pissed. Um, You know, I'm like, darn it. I know exactly what this is. I had Jim feel it. He felt the same thing. I mean, we were convinced. Um, Went back to the same breast surgeon because I was comfortable and I had already like vetted them and they were very, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the first to do nipple sparing, skin sparing. Um, and she said, oh, yeah, it's probably nothing. So dismissed again. Mm. And I said, yeah, well, let's do the testing. Mm-hmm. Um, sure enough, it was cancer. Um, and then what happens when you find a tumor, because I hadn't had a tumor the last time, mm-hmm. It um, before they surgically remove it, they put this like metal marker in it to really pinpoint exactly where the tumor is and when they put you under and they go in and, you know, they're kind of messing around in there, they know what to remove. So I had that removed. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning of January 17. Is it painful when they put the metal marker in or? It's like, it's almost like a, like a, what are those things? Like a nail gun. Oh God. I mean, it doesn't feel like a nail. It's like right. a clip. Okay. So it's almost like a staple. Yeah. So it doesn't feel pleasant. Right. Um, but it's in like your breast tissues. So it's not okay. it's not terrible. Yeah. Um they probably localize it um yeah. with anesthesia. I can't I can't remember. Yeah. Um but they so they marked it, they put me under, they took it out, um, waiting for the results. I go see my oncologist again, Dr. Norton, and he does the physical exam and he says I still feel the marker in your breast. No. Yeah. So I love this Dr. Norton. I mean. He's the best. He's the best. Yeah. So he. But is, no. He's like, no more. You're not going back there. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I, I forbid you. Like okay. He, he was like, why did you go there in the first place? No offense to these people. They're great. They're, it's a great organization. But right. he's like, no, that's yep. it. You're done. And he said, I'm calling Dr. Sakini. We're going to get you in right away. So a couple weeks later. I go back under, I go to the Josie Robertson Surgical Center at Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is like going to a hotel. I love it there. Julian has done Josie so proud. It is phenomenal. Um, They are the nicest people there. They treat you so well. Mm -hmm. From the guy who like opens the car door to press the elevator button for you. And Mm -hmm. then your family can track you throughout surgery. So Mm -hmm. I, I can't say enough good things about 
what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dr. Sakini goes in, he removes the marker and a lot more breast tissue. And then they get the pathology back and there's three invasive spots of cancer. So very glad that mm-hmm. I got to see Dr. Sakini mm-hmm. and he got a clean margin. So yes, some of the stuff that he took out had cancer in it, but the rest of it was clean. Wow. So that's a very good thing. Uh-huh. That's what everybody's striving to do. Uh-huh. They want clean margins around where there was cancer because uh-huh. those are just abnormal cells and they got to get them out of your body. Um, so anyway, this time, because yes, it was fake cancer the first time, then it was um, melanoma, you know, very early stage. Uh, but this time, because it had... It wasn't, a, it wasn't a new cancer as far as I know, mm-hmm. it's hard to tell, but it came back and there were other spots and, you know, sort of third time's the charm, they decided this time um, chemo and radiation were going to be necessary. Oh, how so, did you feel when you heard that? It is a complicated response mm-hmm. because, and I don't know if you have any cancer listeners, this is probably going to sound nonsensical to most people, but... When you go through cancer and you don't have radiation or chemo, and it's, it's very common to feel this way, you feel guilty. Mm. You feel really guilty mm-hmm. because you're sort of like a fake, I mean, you know, Larry was only joking with me, but you right. feel like, you feel so bad for everyone else. Sure. Because you feel, you feel lucky, but you feel like, like you're kind of an asshole. Okay. And that makes sense. Yeah. It's just one of those things. It's not like anybody wants to, no, you know, later stage cancer patient wants you to have later stage cancer. It's just, it's our thing. It's our shit. And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, I'm going to do chemo. What does that mean? But he luckily, um, the kind of chemo he wanted me to do was a little less gnarly than like ACT or, or things that like really are, are just mm-hmm. awful. Um, and you know, they're necessary when there's a certain type of cancer in a certain stage, but I got off a little bit easier with CMF chemo, which is cytoxin, methotrexate and 5-FU, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty ironic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but still, you know, you got to look up your formulation and find out is, you know, which one, how um, detrimental is it to your fertility? Um, cause they only had three eggs. And mm-hmm. so I said, okay, Dr. Norton, I want to do more egg freezing, um, before we start this chemo. Mm-hmm. And he said, fine, you can do one round. Okay. And I said, okay. So I went and got it done, um, at a big hospital, um, the same hospital that I went to that I got three and, you know, you like walk into the waiting room. It's the, it's just kind of like the nasty staff who treats you like a number Mm -hmm. and why are you ruining their day by being there? And you kind of, everybody like has their glasses on and looking down and Mm -hmm. ashamed and don't want to talk. And you kind of see people that you know, but you want to talk about it. And I got paired with the same doctor. They wouldn't let me switch, even though I didn't like him at all. Um, But that's their sort of protocol. So I ended up, um, you know, he, he was sort of milk toast and didn't really give a shit that I had cancer mm. um, or dealing with a lot of issues with potential infertility. And he, you know, he just didn't care. And it ended up, they did the hyperstimulation again. Um, 
he decided he had to decide between two days to trigger me and he decided the later day by the time we got to the retrieval all the eggs were gone oh my god yeah and so they told me that when I you know I was still groggy from you know the twilight or whatever they put you right. on yep and I was just sobbing and felt like horrible mm-hmm. and I was like what happened yeah you know I was tra- I wasn't tracking with like a ton of eggs but I just I was like what happened like I had just been giving myself all these shots right I was you know I don't have time to do this again yeah. my doctor told me I could have one round um and then the next day I remember I was like still cramping a little bit and just feeling like just awful about myself and I get a call from the hospital and I was thinking it was my um, fertility specialist giving me, you know, an answer. And it was the billing department. Uh, <sighs> yeah. So we're just going to say that <laughs> the person on the other end of that call um, may have heard every expletive known to man. Good for you. And I said, are you fucking kidding me? You better get this man to call me and give me an explanation. You will not see a dime from me. I don't give a Fuck, send everybody after me. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I am irate. Do you understand? I have cancer. I don't have time for this. You don't give a fuck. Like, yes. I, just, I went ballistic. Good for you. Nuclear launch button. Yep. Um, so that was, that was bad. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And I'm, oh, it was just a bad, bad moment. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I had this like almost panic stricken, I have to get out of here. I have to get out of here. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and I love this one kind of hiking retreat in California. And I remember like looking at my husband and I was like, I, I got to go to the ranch. Mm-hmm. I like, I have to get out of here. I'm going to call Dr. Norton see if I can buy like one more round. Mm-hmm. I'll find a new doctor and I got to go to the ranch. And I was, at that time, my new company had a, like, specific IVF policy in their coverage. So I was like, okay, at least, like, it'll be covered. Mm-hmm. Um, Because my old firm, they had an IVF policy at one point when, when the guy's wife was trying to get pregnant, but then he took it off. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really, okay. Really nice. Nice. Top notch. Um, <laughs> so... This new firm um, had the policy. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll it'll be okay. I'll, I'll call them. And they gave me the same excuse and said, sorry, your IVF policy, even though you have one and it's up to like $25,000, no, it's, it doesn't apply to you. doesn't apply to and you. And I said, but no, this time I'm, I'm getting chemo, right. radiation. Another, they're going to put me into medically induced menopause. Right. I'm 100% infertile after treatment. And they're like, no, but you're not infertile yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> That is maddening. Uh, so I went on this retreat. I had had that conversation with the insurance company. I hadn't heard from my fertility specialist because he had gone on vacation um, for two <laughs> weeks. And my mind is... What if he was on the retreat when you oh, got there? <laughs> I mean, woof. I mean, I, I am small, but I am woof. I would have like been right on him, probably yeah. punched him in the face, which is yeah. terrible, but... Um, yeah, I, I get a little aggro, a lot aggro. Well, you have a lot to have been aggro about. So. Yeah. Yes. So, but in any event, it was the best retreat. I heard back from Dr. Norton. He gave me the green light on another round. I had a dear friend who had gotten great, great treatment um, when she decided to freeze her eggs. 
and introduced me to her doctor. Okay. Had a wonderful conversation with her. Um, And when I was on this long hike, I think day three, um, the name Chick Mission came to me. And I'm like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Like, nobody's going to feel like the dog shit I felt like and that I'm less than and that people are trying, like, what's wrong with humanity? And I'm going to give people hope and I'm going to give them an extra fight for the battle ahead and I'm going to give them options. And if they want to have a family after they beat cancer and kick cancer's ass, Mm -hmm. I am going to help them do that. Yes. And, you know, this is like... The whole thing, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm a career finance woman. I can afford this. It feels like shit paying, you know, $60,000 over the course of three rounds, one that failed. But I have the money to do it because I I was good in math. And Mrs. Yuzo told me I was good in math. And I decided <laughs> to go into finance. Yeah. So I'm allowed to have babies after cancer. But, you know, the cyclist who's a professional cyclist or the teacher or the nurse right. or the whatever, um, who decided to follow their dream, the artist, yes. and aren't making, you know, the money that I was making, they can't have a family after cancer. Yes. So that was the fuel and fire that I needed Good. to figure out, okay, you know, I'm going to have to do four months of chemo, seven weeks of radiation, and then be put in medically do- induced menopause. What am I going to do while I'm sitting in the doctor's office? I love Dr. Norton, but I have to wait hours every time I see him. And, you know, being in the chemo suite, even though we did dress up chemo. um, What does that mean? (laughs) Oh, we picked themes. And my friends and family would come and we'd dress up and just make it a a party instead of a a sad thing. Oh, I love that. This helped my friends not be so scared, too. Yeah. We did all chick-themed dress up. We did. We did, like, we did... um, like Old McDonald's was oh one. God. We did, uh, what did we do? We did chick flicks. So we did um, Clueless. Oh, we did nice. the Dixie Chicks. That was my besties from college. What else? We did Wonder <laughs> Woman. Um, so good. That was, my friend Jenny's mom is like the master crafter and made us all costumes. I'll show you pictures. They're oh, amazing. yes. I want to see them, please. So I spent I a lot that. of that time, you know, I ordered nonprofits for dummies. I reached right. out to all my friends who I knew had other friends who had started, you know, small organizations. Right. I had worked for Young Survival Coalition. I was their, you know, fundraiser for their biggest, most successful gala ever. So I... You know, I know how to ask people for money. Right. I just don't know how to run a nonprofit. So right. I'm like, I'm going to read nonprofits for dummies. I'm going to pick a lot of people's brains. Yeah. And we'll start slow. I'll find the woman who helped start Fertile Hope. Um, right. Which was the first fertility focused, oh, cool. like uncle fertility charity that got absorbed into Livestrong. Oh, wow. Um, so cool. that was Lindsay, like amazing woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I called Livestrong and I was like, I need to be best friends with you guys. Mm-hmm. And I want to know how you do what you do. And I want to help more people. So let's work together. I was mm-hmm. like, this is no competition. I just want to, you know, what can I do to make this organization better and to help more patients that you can't reach and right. vice versa. You know, at this point in time, I was 40, I was 40 and Uh I'm like, yeah, I can do this. Right. I got a lot of friends. I got a lot of amazing friends. One in particular that introduced us. Right. Gail. Our friend Gail. Yes. Incredible. Yes. And yeah, I mean, we, we can do this. We can build it. Right. So tell me about, um, Chick Mission. What in a nutshell, like what's your elevator pitch? Basically we help young adults who are diagnosed with cancer you know, women are born with all of their eggs that they'll ever have. So when a young woman is diagnosed with cancer, 
Um, she's got a lot of fight in her. She's got a lot of energy. She's got a really good prognosis in most cases. Our generation's different. We, we are very in touch with our bodies. We notice things. We, mm-hmm. um, there's great science out there and all this great advancement. There's great advancement not only in cancer but in fertility. So there's all these great options for us. You know, cancer is a big bump in the road. And I think it's, you know, it's either 95 or 97% of young adults diagnosed with cancer survive. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard you say that on the panel that I saw you speak on a couple of weeks ago. And that I was so, so floored by that. And it amazing. made me so happy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so wonderful. This is not like, you know, I hope this doesn't come off in like poor taste, but it's not your mother's cancer. It's, it's new, like this is young adult cancer. Yeah. We get the least amount of resources. Um, and we have the most success rates. Yeah. And so what does a healthy life after you fight and win cancer look like if you can't have a family? Mm-hmm. And not to say, I think adoption is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think surrogacy is wonderful. I think there are so many ways to have a family. Mm-hmm. But no insurance company should tell you or law dictate you know, whether you have a biological child or not, mm-hmm. that is insane. Mm-hmm. That is just not fair. Like mm-hmm. you were handed this, you didn't choose to have cancer. You're trying to do, if insurance companies would just stop and think for a moment, if they invest, you know, they could, they could negotiate these rates down very, very low, you know, say they spent $10,000 to preserve your fertility. Well, after you go through treatment, you know, your, your likelihood of having a baby, especially with chemo, a, a lot of the times it's like less than 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, other, you know, if you have to go on long-term, long-term drug therapy, that just postpones the opportunity to have your baby. So if you get diagnosed at 32 and you have to go on 10 years of drugs, mm-hmm. you just got past that 35-year-old cliff. Mm-hmm. Now they want to, you know, at 42, maybe you're going to be in medically induced menopause at that point. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And so... I just think if, if a rational person was in charge, um, which they're not, um, <laughs> spend those dollars up front, and then you won't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars later to get this person who's basically infertile pregnant. Or right. maybe they're forced to have multiples, which costs the system hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh-huh. Or, uh-huh. you know, it's hard. Like people say, adopt. Well, I'm a three-time cancer survivor who's divorced. Mm. Um, you think anybody's going to approve me to adopt a baby? <laughs> wow. Yeah, don't think so. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's just, it's yeah. nuts. So the elevator pitch is basically, right. we want to help young women diagnosed with cancer right. um, learn about their fertility options. We don't want make doctors or insurance companies to make those decisions for you mm-hmm. because of a monetary hurdle. Sure. Um, you know, we educate men as well, but it's so much cheaper and easier for men to preserve their sperm. Uh-huh. Um, and men regenerate their sperm. Right. So right. I made that decision very early on in the process. You know, the first thought when I was on this retreat was all cover men and women. And then I was like, you know what? I, I really just need to focus on, on something a little bit more... Um, exact. Mm-hmm. And so because I had been through it, um, I said, I'm going to cover women yep. and married, single, whatever. Yep. And um, and so we started just talking about it, forming it. Yeah. We, Tell me about coming up with your founder's board. Yeah. I love this. Just what I read about it. I love the people that you chose to be on your board. Oh, Tell me. So good. So and this they, is part of forming an nonprofit. They like, so you have to have a board, right? You have to have a board and there's like lots of rules and regs and you have to have bylaws and you have to... 
you have to apply for a 501c3 mm -hmm. designation and there's a lot of paperwork. Um, but you had a lot of time in those waiting rooms. I did. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to see what happens here. And I, even if we help one patient, like to me, that's awesome. Yeah. And if we can figure out a way to work really smart and make our dollars go really far, that to me, I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm like just my analytical mind. And, right. Um, so, you know, I'm sitting in the chemo suite with my mother. So she was a shoe in. Um, this is her baby dealing with cancer for the third time. Yeah. My mom is a retired project manager who is just so organized. She plays bridge. She's a shoe in. I mean, done. I love the way you said that. I was like, she's like, she's the best. She's also just the sweetest and she's just got a huge heart and is super analytical too and loves a good project. Mm -hmm. So this was going to be a good way for her and I to bond over something positive, not negative. And so that was done. Um, <laughs> one of my best friends, we were like getting a pedicure. I had mentioned this was my idea. This is Lori Katz. Mm -hmm. And Lori, unfortunately, lost her mom to breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And it was a very different time. Like She didn't even know for many years that her mom was sick mm -hmm. because she just didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And... That actually influenced a lot of Chick Mission too, just that fact. Um, you know, I started an Instagram. I started mm -hmm. sharing what I was feeling, what mm -hmm. I was going through. I would do, I did a post about being depressed and wanting to jump in front of the subway. I did a post about, mm -hmm. you know, just feeling less than womanly and about, you know, boobs, like everything funny to serious. Right. And so Lori right away was like, well, I'm absolutely in. I'll, I'll be the president. I'm like, Perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and then a, another um, best friend of mine, Emily Ernstorf Fritz, um, she, you know, she was with me in, you know, I think my first two chemo rounds. Um, I remember it was Jeff Sessions was testifying. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that, mm -hmm. but like it was just like a nauseating thing to yeah, watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're sitting in the chemo suite. It was Emily and one of my best investor buddies and I sitting there. And we do this picture. I have like the IV drip of chemo in my arm. And we're sitting in there like watching the television with Jeff Sessions. And we both, we all have like our fingers up to our heads. Like, and the caption was, What's more nauseating? Chemo. <laughs> Chemo sessions or Jeff sessions? <laughs> That's awesome. So um, it was so funny. Um, we really brought levity to yeah, MSK to. chemo. Yeah. Um, and we, um, no, we had the best time. So mm -hmm. she's like, I'm totally in. Right. And what Lori and Emily and I have in common is that we are um, hedge fund professionals that raise money for a living. Yeah. And we know a lot of generous, amazing people, and we've all been doing this for a long time. So it's pretty natural for us to ask mm -hmm. people to support a good cause yeah. um, or a good fund. Yeah. So that was a natural fit. And then um, to round out this powerhouse group, my fertility specialist, so the third time around, I had the best care. Um, every single doctor at CCRM was, um, so kind, so thoughtful. Their staff, I mean, because I had had the lymph nodes dissected in the left arm, I could only give blood on the right arm. They had the most amazing nurse who, it was almost painless, and they had to go into the same, you know, area on my arm every other day. 
and I barely bruised. Like mm-hmm. it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And Jamie Notman was my doctor and she would like text me like, you got this, you're doing mm-hmm. great. Like everything's gonna be fine. And that's just sometimes what you need. Mm-hmm. So Jamie is like the best mom to two young girls. Yeah. Um, she's been doing this a very long time. Her partners, um, Janet, Brian, and Shiva are like an incredible powerhouse okay. team. Like okay. they've done Chick Mission Soul Cycle with us. Right, like they're right, just, right. They're amazing. And so um, I went to Jamie and I'm like, we need a chief medical officer. Mm-hmm. I need you to be there with us. And she's like, in. Yes. And Who so, can say no to that? I mean. Yeah. And then finally, last but not least, because she's like become one of my best friends in the entire world. I love her. Um, it's Tracy Weiss. She's the other survivor on the founding board. Mm-hmm. She is larger than life, mm-hmm. creative, fun, and not in finance, thankfully. <laughs> we needed someone who could round us out more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met her. Her husband works with one of our board members and had mentioned his wife is a cancer survivor mm-hmm. and we should meet her. And I was like, yeah, let's go to lunch. So we met within five minutes of meeting Tracy. I was like, y- you have no choice. You have to be on this board. Like <laughs> literally no choice. Um, was a newlywed, got diagnosed, ended up in passing. Like somebody mentioned, preserve your fertility. And she ended up doing it. Uh-huh. Um, and now she's like happy, healthy. Yeah. Um, and just a, she's a force. Yeah. And she brings out the absolute best in me. And I, I adore her. So tell me what happened. I know you guys have you've been meeting with senators, you've been cha- you've been really changing yeah. laws and all this stuff. So tell me what happened in April of this year. There was a big deal, right? Yeah. I mean, this is years coming. There have been, you know, personal friends of mine actually, a friend of a sorority sister of mine who has been a champion to try to change these laws for years after she went through it. There's you know, a couple of you know very large national organizations, Resolve and the Alliance for Fertility Preservation, mm-hmm. who have you know really laid the groundwork um, to getting some of this legislative stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, as an organization, we've got a lot of followers. We've got a lot of survivor friends, mm-hmm. and so anytime we hear from those guys, and we we try to check in with them regularly, or check in with their websites, or attend advocacy days. Mm-hmm. You know, Joyce, who's who's the executive director of the Alliance for Fertility Preservation, and she's become a friend. Um, I really love like her passion and spirit, and they both of those groups organize an advocacy day in Albany, um, and Tracy and I as the survivors, we're like, we, we're 100% in, we're going up to Albany, we wanna talk, you know, Elle Woods takes, you know, <laughs> um, and we had some great conversations and they, you know, they are fighting on behalf of the disease of infertility. Uh-huh. Um, the Alliance for Fertility Preservation really fights for, um, you know, cancer and other illness. Um, and we sort of support it all because mm-hmm. we want the laws to change. Mm-hmm. We know that women and men, you know, like we have to have dual income households now. Life is very expensive. Children mm-hmm. are expensive. Mm-hmm. Living in New York is crazy expensive. Um, living anywhere is expensive too. So we, um, you know, there was legislation um, called the Fair Access to Fertility Treatment Act or FAFTA. Yeah, that was it. Um, it's called FAFTA. Mm-hmm. But that sounds right. They, um, you know, championing to get IVF coverage for all. Yeah. Um, getting um, iotrogenic preservation. Basically, if you have 
a serious illness that will affect your ability to have a baby mm-hmm. um, after treatment. So that, you know, that's basically cancer and anything else that you may have to get chemo for or something systemic that could ruin your chances. Right. So Cuomo, yay. Uh-huh. Um, well, the Senate and the Assembly had to support it, and then Cuomo signed um, his new budget on April 1st, which happened to be a Sunday, and April Fool's Day. <laughs> so when you're signing a multi-billion dollar budget, um, right. I remember it came out and he had a press conference. Well, iatrogenic fertility is not what he's going to be addressing in his, you know, 10-minute press conference. Right. Like, we're talking about, like, roads and right. bridges and tunnels and homelessness and sure. things like that. And this is, like, a small blip in the budget. That's right. why we wanted it to get passed, too. It doesn't really cost any money. Right. Um, but, I mean, it's been – I took two to three hours to go through every single page of that budget to finally get to – this is the language, and right. this actually happened. Yeah. Because I kept waiting. You know, I, I'm not familiar with politics and how this process works, mm-hmm. and I've I've learned a lot from both of these groups. But you know, I was like, did this happen or not? Right. Somebody tell me. Yeah. Um, and I was holding my breath, and I wouldn't post all day, and I literally was sick to my stomach. And one of my friends was coming over to stay over that night, and finally we heard, and we we're like, yes, yes. Ah! yes. Um, so I remember Gail, our friend Gail texted me. Oh, She's like, you're never going to believe it. Yes. That was a big deal. It's a huge yeah. deal. Yeah. And they still, you know, New York still has a long way to go for IVF. They cover, they passed it for large group insurers. Mm-hmm. So now they need to do small and, um, you know, individual plans. Mm-hmm. But this is a great first step. Mm-hmm. And it Perfect. will go into effect on January 1st, 2020. 2020. Okay. Are you involved with the surrogacy laws as well? Because New York, as you know, is one of what, two states where it's illegal? Three. Three? Yeah. I I will not name call, but Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of um, interesting, um, uh, (laughs) I don't even know how to phrase this, Mm -hmm. but there's there's people on the far, far right and the far, far left who are opposed to legalizing surrogacy. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting rhetoric, would you say? Yes. (laughs) There is one person, um, (laughs) actually, I will name her name, Deborah Glick. Mm. Assemblywoman Glick. Okay. She happens to be my assemblywoman. Mm-hmm. She covers the West Village in Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Her argument against surrogacy is that we are dealing with climate change, and climate change is caused by overpopulation, and therefore those that can't have a baby should adopt. Wow. Glick. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? She might try to run again. So anybody who's listening that lives in our area, Deborah Glick, please do not vote for Deborah Glick. Yes. Boo. Sorry to get political, no, but I cannot okay. even we believe can get it. Political. And I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, I think there are some people on these far extremes that are anti-LGBTQ. Yeah. Um, which is complete and utter bullshit. Yeah. Um, I think there are some people that. I just think there's a lot of um, people who think it's for it's very elitist. Um, it actually might hurt the surrogate. I mean, New York, the the yeah. language that they want to pass is very protective of the surrogate. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who I called yesterday. I made a lot of calls to assembly people. Um, Deborah Glick's office happened to say. Well, no, that's that's just not true. And I said, yes, actually, I'm going to send you an article that the the Women's Law Review wrote that basically goes to bat every misnomer that you guys are you know gossiping about, mm-hmm. and you're completely uneducated about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And this is actually going to help 
protect surrogates. Right. Surrogates' bill of rights. Right, right. So instead, you want me to go across to New Jersey and not be a part of my future child's life until they're born? Right. It always baffles me, too, and it's these women that are opposing this stuff. Yeah. Your fellow women. Your fellow women. Your fellow women. I'm like, okay, so you can have a baby and be a part of that and like mm-hmm. listen to, feel their feel their feet kick and mm-hmm. be there for all the appointments but i i'm not allowed because right. i had cancer to cross state lines yeah, no. yeah. So, unbelievable it's so mad. back on a, a good note yes. tell me about all the good things that chick mission has done so far so you guys come up with these are they called grants for for people or what do you so call so we it at first we called them grants okay. but now we're applying for grants okay so okay. we rename them hope scholarships okay oh that's good which that's good it's exactly it's the word that's that comes good. out of almost every recipient's mouth is you just gave me hope yeah and and that's what they're intended to do mm-hmm. okay so how many people have you guys so our so far our first so we had our first board meeting in november of 17. Okay. Then we did like a suggested donation at somebody's holiday party that December. Yeah. Um, and then we really got to work on fundraising. So mm-hmm. in 2018, we did this like spring event at Hudson Yards. We did our big fall event. And then a lot of generous people that we know, mm-hmm. um, our chick magnetar included, who mm-hmm. has just been the best, <laughs> um, wrote big, generous checks. And so we were able to give our first Hope Scholarship to a young woman um, on Valentine's Day of 2018. Mm-hmm. So since Valentine's Day of 2018, we have given 26 Hope Scholarships. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And in That's the, huge. That's huge. So fast, right? So fast. Okay. And we weren't, you know, we were like, okay, we'll, we'll be ready by the end of the second quarter. And yeah. That's our goal. Right. And, you know... One of our practices was like, hey, you know, we got a candidate. Are you guys ready? And we we're like, yeah, you know, we've yeah. got like 75 grand in the bank. Like, I think we're ready. Let's do it. We're doing it. Yeah. And so that young woman, <clears throat> she's single. She was a Division One athlete in college, mm-hmm. you know, basically like early 30s. Was like, what the F just happened? Mm-hmm. You know, cancer diagnosis. And we're like, yeah, no, we're going to we're gonna give her hope. Oh, I love that. And she got a lot of eggs. I think she had like... Gosh, uh, see, chemo brain's real. But yeah, it was like seventeen eggs or twenty uh-huh. eggs, something. You know, again, it's quality. It's <clears throat> quality, not quantity. Mm-hmm. But we were so happy. Yeah. I felt like fulfilled with right. with her eggs. Right. You know, her number of eggs. There is a criteria. It's need based scholarships, but we try to be generous and we try yeah. to help as much as we can. Yeah. And if we, if you don't meet our criteria, we've got other. Um, you know, resources that we know of around right. the country that may be able to help. Right, of course. So tell me, just wrapping up, what yeah. would you give, what advice would you give to somebody who is possibly recently diagnosed with cancer and isn't sure what they want to do, if they want to freeze their eggs, or if yeah. it's just too daunting? Or I think, you know, if you have to rush into treatment, you have to listen to your doctors. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you have the time. They can manipulate through science when you start your cycle. And, you know, reach out to us if you, if you need someone to talk to. I mean, I answer all the info at the chickmission.org emails mm-hmm. because I don't feel comfortable having anybody else answer them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been there. I know how hopeless you might feel. Mm-hmm. I know how dark and impatient you might feel. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much waiting. And, you know, this day and age, nobody likes to wait for anything. It's right. instant gratification. And you got to wait for these pathology reports and things. Right. And 
second opinions and who do I even talk to? And this is a new lingo of cancer. And then there's this whole other fertility lingo. There's all these acronyms. Oh, these acronyms, <laughs> yes. which I just Somebody told me we should with. do like a glossary of terms. Oh my gosh, we should. Because there's so many. Yeah, and, yes. I'll add your cancer glossary. Right, combined. Um, yeah, infertile AF. <laughs> um, but I would just say, have hope. You are gonna get through this. It's gonna take some time and it's gonna suck. Um, but on the other side, you want options. And just because you're scared and overwhelmed right now, um, you truly want to preserve. You wanna figure out a way to do it, whether it's through a scholarship, put it on your credit card, ask your family for, for help. Um, maybe this is the next like 10 Christmas presents you ever get. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You wanna do it. The mm-hmm. science is there. Um, eggs. Do eggs. That, it's almost as good as embryos. Like, mm-hmm. it's so close now that mm-hmm. just do eggs. It's yeah. cheaper. Freeze your eggs. Right. Um, just have an option for later. Yeah. When these things are going to get cheaper, you're right. going to get more coverage down the line. There are laws that are, that right. are changing. You're, you're, you are changing them. New yeah. York just changed it's their happening. law. There are other states. New Jersey, it might happen there. Oregon, it might happen there. There's, right. there's so much going on, and we're going to move Chick Mission. That's that's the other exciting thing. We're moving, we're taking our show on the road, and we're going to cover patients in Texas and California in the next awesome. year. So, so awesome. stay tuned. Okay. Come to our gala. Come yes. to our Ladies Only event. Spin with us at Soul Cycle. Absolutely. We're, we'll we're saying yes to all the events. Yes, I love it. Well, you are such a badass. Thanks. Babe. Thank you for doing this, <laughs> and thank you for being so open. Thanks. And thank you for starting Chick Mission. Oh, and I also want to mention your necklace. Oh, which yes. Which is the little chick. Oh. We'll maybe show a picture of it, but yes. it's so great. So we're doing this profit share um, for the amazing Chick Charm. Um, I have a wonderful so friend, cute. Mariana, who started a jewelry company um, for women by women. Mm-hmm. And it's called Cut and Clarity. Um, so you can go to www.cutandclarity.co, not com, mm-hmm. C-O, and she's got the chick on there. It's a, they have rose gold, they have white gold, they have um, yellow gold with a black diamond eye. Yeah, it's and then very cool. she also sells the most badass. Um, Boob oh, is that the boob necklace uh-huh. one too? So I stacked. Wait, weren't you saying that that got banned from Instagram? Yes. Instagram what? keeps Bullshit. like saying you can't post the boobs necklace, which Mariana and I are not going to stand for that. No. I mean, I will post my real boobs if they have a problem with the boobs necklace, <laughs> which you probably don't want to see. But right. actually, they're pretty good. Um, but the boobs necklace is also available yeah. on Cotton Clarity. Yeah. And it has diamond nipples. Hello. <laughs> so for anyone, it's like a very fierce, it's cool. it's really forceful, cool. girl power. I mean, anybody who has ever had a mastectomy, like I love wearing my boobs on my neck. It's awesome. Yeah. It's such a conversation starter. <laughs> um, but stacking them with my chick yes. and whatever else I want to wear that day loads is of, my... Loads of conversations. It's my armor, so... I love it. There you go. All right. Well, thank you, Amanda. Thanks, Allie. Hey again, guys. Thank you for listening. I love when Amanda talks about being a cancer overachiever. Isn't she the fucking best? Make sure to check out Chick Mission 
and please pass this on to anybody who might be dealing with cancer, especially young adults who might not know what their options are. It's such a great organization. And I'm going to post about their fundraiser, which is coming up this fall. I will be there. Amanda will be there. A bunch of other people will be there. You can be there too. I'll post all the info. So go to my Instagram, which is Infertile AF Stories, and I will talk to you next time. Thanks again, Amanda. Love you, girl. <laughs>